What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 54 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for uh, Wednesday, July 5th, 2017. I am here, Josh Cannon, not alone, unlike last podcast. I am overcompensating for my loneliness last podcast, and I have not one, but two people here. Mike, my normal co-host. How you doing, Mike? Doing good, doing good. How about you? Did you have a good 4th of July? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, it's pretty and, loud, though, But right? we won't go too far into how we're doing because we want to be gracious yeah. guests. And uh, some of you may know this this person, some of you may not. But we have our first uh, uh, partner in podcasting. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm, I don't know why. Why am I the one in charge of doing this? I don't know. But anyway, partner in crime. We have Robin <laughs> Warder. I guess I'm saying last name right, from uh, the Trail Went Cold podcast. How are you doing, Robin? Excellent. I'm great. Uh, Thank you very very much for having me. Um, My 4th of July was spent working, but I did have a nice Canada Day on July 1st. (laughs) Ah, Canada Day. Now, we're Americans, so uh, obviously the 4th of July means something to Canadians, too, because, you know, America is the number one country. So uh, that really upsets me to hear that you weren't flying the flag of uh, America. Over in Canada. This interview's over. Nah, I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so Canada Day is Canada Day uh, uh, likened unto the Fourth of July here? Is it is it celebrations and all that kind of stuff? Beer drinking, whatnot. Oh yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. Only it's a couple days earlier. Uh, this year was actually our hundred and fiftieth anniversary as a country, and I live in the capital city of Ottawa, and they had like a huge celebration in Parliament Hill downtown. But I was out of town and I missed it, and I heard there was a gigantic rainstorm on Canada Day, so it sounds like I didn't miss much. Oh, yeah, it wow. sounds like they they're not going to light off much fireworks, you know, in the rain. Yeah, I heard they had to cancel them. <laughs> yeah, so we we have a few Canadian listeners, actually uh, probably more than what I realized, but the, the our big Canadian fans, one of them lives in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. How far away from that uh, is that from Ottawa? Uh, I don't know the exact uh, number of kilometers, but it's several pl- provinces away. Like this is Ontario, and then you got to cross through Manitoba, and then... Uh, go to Saskatchewan, and there's a lot of open space between Ottawa and Saskatoon. Well, that's cool. So, um, Robin, you do The Trail Went Cold. Uh, that's a true... Uh, would you say it's a true crime podcast? I guess that's what these are called, right? Yeah, it's true. Like, uh, I know you got. I do a lot of Unsolved Mysteries cases, but I don't really cover the ghosts or the supernatural or the UFOs. I mostly just focus on true crime. You know, it's funny. That's all people really give a shit about, it seems like. Uh, anytime I... Because I'm the big UFO ghost paranormal guy. And well, I love I like that stuff, too. Yeah, Mike so, likes it, too. You know. and, it, and it seems like people care more about the murders and stuff than they do the UFO, which saddens me to a certain extent, but it's whatever. So, yeah, it does make sense because uh, I, I, I really love the UFO and ghost segments as well. I love watching them, but I think people love to hear podcasts about the true crime because there's more to analyze and talk about. Whereas yeah. with the supernatural, all you can say is, well, did the person really see a UFO or are they making shit up or are they hallucinating? And that's all you can analyze. Yeah. 
Yeah. Whereas with with the mystery, unless, unless we have right a skeptic, it. unless we have a skeptic, we can kind of rib for a bit, and you know, with silly explanations. For it, you know, it's kind of become stuff a, like the Mothman. It's become a running <laughs> joke at this point um, that anytime a skeptic is on, me and Mike just automatically take the side of uh, trashing the skeptic, <laughs> and I think we do it at this point just to piss off the people that. Uh, are on the skeptic side because we get like reviews sometimes on iTunes and it's like these guys just believe every single paranormal thing just at face value and blah 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 and it's like it's almost like a joke at this point because I feel like uh, some of it's bullshit but uh, well I, yeah look look at the Ghost Boy segment oh you know, yeah yeah we, we do we debunk totally... them sometimes yeah like we had a we had a segment that we talked about it's an unsolved mysteries case it was called Ghost Boy on the Ultimate Collection at least and. Uh, yeah, after doing some digging, we actually found that the mom was like writing a book about the experiences that she was that she stood to profit from, and um, you know, she wrote about insane things like a, a haunted car or something <laughs> from hell or something like that. Yeah, and that you know, after discovering that information, it's like okay, you know, it, which sucked because Ghost Boy used to be one of my favorite ghost segments until I found out all that business on the side. Where it was just like, okay, it's complete bullshit. But or you have the Guardian UFO. Yeah. Oh yeah, is... Diane Lebanek. Yeah, that that was another <laughs> one. That was a Canadian one actually. That happened in Canada. I don't remember where, but it's actually only about twenty to twenty-five kilometers from where I live. It's like a rural area outside Ottawa called Carlton Place, and I know I've driven through it several times, though I don't think I've ever passed by her farm. But that's the closest unsolved mysteries case to me. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, nice. I, I love how exotic you are, Robin, saying a boot and saying kilometers. I mean, it's just <laughs> so, so exotic for me. It's like, wow, I'm really talking to a foreigner right now. This is this is crazy. It's so, so funny. People always comment on my Canadian accent. But if you're living here, you don't notice it. But when American listeners listen to it, that's one of the first things they notice. But it's I'm totally oblivious to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because, like, if you go up north in the United States to, like, New Eng the New England area, the accent there is way more exaggerated. And then if you keep going up further north into Canada, it becomes more normalized. There's just these subtle differences. That's so true. <laughs> so, Robin, how long have you been doing the Trail Went Cold podcast? Like, when did you start and, like, why did you start? Well, I started it in February of 2016, and it's been on now for about a year and a half and gotten more popular than I would have anticipated. But it also has an interesting origin story, and I know you guys are going to appreciate this because it involves the intervention of a company we loved called Cosgrove and Muir Productions. Never heard of them. Uh, but yeah, no, you've never mentioned them on the podcast. Who? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it started about four Four years ago, I actually wanted to turn this po a podcast into like a YouTube video series because this was shortly after like all the Unsolved Mysteries cases were just yanked from YouTube because I used to watch a whole bunch of them there and then all of a sudden they were gone because of Cosgrove and Muir and I thought... It'd be kind of fun if I did a video web series where I hosted it. I actually dressed up like Robert Stack. I wore a trench coat. And <laughs> I have a friend named McGill who's a filmmaker, and he's also a professional editor by trade. So he would film it and edit it together for me. And I would talk about the Unsolved Mysteries cases. We would intersperse clips from the show. And the, the second half, I would analyze the cases, give my own personal theories, and also share information about the cases that I had dug up, which 
wasn't mentioned on the original segment. And I thought I would be protected by fair use because that's how YouTube works, where if you even if you use clips of copyrighted stuff, as long as you intersperse your own narration or your own host segments, you should be fine. Well, we released. Yeah, how naive I was. Uh, (laughs) It's funny. The very first episode we shot was about the Aileen Conway case, which was the first case I covered on the trail went cold. And it's pretty much almost word for word, the original video segment as the podcast episode, where the script is the same, the original theme music is the same, except it was a video this time. And the original title for it was The Unsolved Mysteries Fanatic. And it was on YouTube for about a half an hour or so before we heard from Cosgrove <laughs> oh, here wow. uh, demanding us to taking it down. And it Damn, was probably because... Fast. I know. And I it was probably because we had the title Unsolved Mysteries in it. And I know these guys just sit on YouTube 24-7 looking for stuff to pounce on and instantly get it removed. And my editor even mentioned fair use to the person we talked to, and they were like, no, sorry, you can't do that. Rights issues, blah, 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 blah. And we didn't want to get sued, so we had to abandon the project. And we were thinking, well, we want to revitalize this somehow. We want to do a web series where we talk about these cases without actually using copyrighted footage. But then last year, I thought, why don't I do a podcast? Because at the time, Unsolved Mysteries cases were like impossible to find online. You couldn't watch them anywhere. So I thought this would be an interesting substitute where I can talk about the cases, analyze them, but uh, I wouldn't actually show any copyrighted clips or anything so I could get away with it. And, And it worked out pretty well. My first episode was the Aileen Conway case, and I alternate between them. Like, I don't just do Unsolved Mysteries cases. I do other cold cases as well that I find interesting, but I find that the Unsolved Mysteries cases are the most popular with my listeners and helped me grow an audience. And I even wondered when they were suddenly put on Amazon Prime earlier this year if the interest would die down where people would think, well, now that I can watch them, there's no sense listening to the podcast, but the popularity has only grown. People now send me requests like, hey, I watched the Kurt Sova segment. Can you do an episode on that? And then I do an episode on it and the downloads are great. So it's only piqued the interest, I think. So uh, I think my timing was very well because I kind of beat them to the punch by about a year. Yeah, that's what well, that's what I thought. Like, cause this podcast was Mike's idea, and and he, cause yep. I made a video on my YouTube channel comparing the original Unsolved Mysteries to the revamp with Dennis Farina, and that video got a lot of hits. Um, and Mike found that video, and he contacted me about doing a podcast about Unsolved Mysteries, cause I love the show, he loved the show, and I didn't think it was that great of an idea because because people couldn't watch the show anymore. And I thought, who's going to listen to this? This show's 20 years old. It hasn't been on the air for like, the original hasn't been on the air for like, at the time, like almost 10 years. And But we just did it anyway. And we, we called it Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries. And we used the, the damn thumbnail of, of the show that was slightly altered. And... Um, yeah, I think the nail in the coffin for me as far as John and Terry actually being able to send a cease and desist letter to my home address was when I wrote Don Devereaux, uh, who was a key interview in the Danny Castellaro segment that aired. Uh, I wrote him to get an interview with him, which I got. Um, but he, for some reason, I don't know if he was doing it just out of like uh, looking out for John and Terry or just being like, hey, look at this. Isn't this interesting? He actually forwarded my note 
to them to their office so i think he was being nice i don't think he was like doing some clandestine thing for yeah, them yeah I, I don't think so either I, I think he was he read it he knew how much you loved the show and how you know how gung ho and how driven you were to interview john and terry or yeah. one of them yeah, I think so, so too, because he actually, like, I didn't leave it in the podcast, but he actually gave me their number to their office and all that yeah. um, to, to call them and perhaps get an interview or whatever, and uh, and, and it turned... I wasn't involved in any of this because my address wasn't anywhere, and what's funny is the YouTube videos, I've made them private because I posted some of the episodes um, on YouTube of, and of when it was still of our podcast and it was still uncovering Unsolved Mysteries. And it was a decent amount of views, and I got you know some people who are fans of the podcast to this day because of that. And they didn't go after those immediately, like. Well, yeah, so they, like they straight up they straight just, up sent me a cease and desist letter, and that yeah. was a whole it was a whole big thing, and I had to scrub all the all every trying to call and trying to get a hold of people, and, and they got a hold of the lawyer basically saying, "Why are you calling?" You know. You know what's your offer? Yeah, that's what their well, lawyer. Well, that's what their lawyer said to me. He's, he's like, well, we're very, <laughs> we're very interested in hearing what your offer is. I'm like, offer? What do you what do you think I'm gonna buy? Like the rights to the show or something? Like, dude, I'm just some <laughs> I'm just some pissant from Jacksonville, Florida. I'm I'm just trying to talk about your show because I have a genuine love for it, and uh, you know, other people do too. It's a fan community. That's what that was my big point about John and Terry is like I just. I don't have any ill will towards them. I just feel like they're I don't really, either. They're really old school. They're outdated. They're out of touch. Yeah, they don't understand that fan communities thrive online now, and that that helps garner a lot of interest for these shows that haven't been on air for a long time. You know, and 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 they did the AMA, but it doesn't seem like they answered a lot of stuff. You know, they answered a few things, a few questions, but there were certain questions that they definitely didn't answer that related to stuff like why is certain segments not on. Amazon Prime, uh, why, you know, if Josh is able to get on there, if he asked a question about what's going on, I'm pretty sure they would have not answered it. So, Robin, when you ran into your problem with John and Terry, it, it was probably similar to the email that myself and, and other people have said that they've gotten, because there's this other Canadian dude named John Howe who, who was doing uh, this really stripped down kind of he would cover unsolved mysteries just kind of sitting on his couch talking about it and he was using i think the logo as a thumbnail or whatever and they always go back to the guilds the actors guilds and the actors have to get royalties yeah yeah it's like what is matthew mcconaughey still getting royalties is this gonna like cut (laughs) into like his income or something if we, we use footage of him it's very bizarre but yes my email was very similar i didn't actually get as far as to communicate with John and Terry personally, like we received an email from a representative of the company who was pretty nice. And she was saying, we appreciate that there are Unsolved Mysteries fans out there. And we we love that you're so passionate about the show, but we cannot put the, it on there because of rights issues, because of contracts that they had signed back in the 80s, which didn't take into account the internet and YouTube and streaming so far into the future. And and we we even brought up fair use. We brought up other like web series like the Nostalgia Critic, where he can use all this footage because uh, well, he still runs he, into problems lately. Yeah, he still runs into problems as well. Yeah, but they, she said no, 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 you can't do it. And we that's about as far as it got. We never actually got a cease and desist letter. What's we, crazy? We just figured, though, well, we'll think of something else. Yeah, what's crazy about Josh's video, the old versus new? Filmrise recently claimed it, but like. 
it's still up. Yeah, I I, oh, okay. I I disputed I disputed their claim and I I cited fair use and they released their claim on it. Yeah, so he disputed the claim, but the claim isn't necessarily a copyright strike. The copyright strike is the thing that's really worrisome, is that? Well, I got I got a copy I got a straight up copyright strike for another unsolved mysteries video. Yeah, I, I the, did the top ten. Yeah, I did a top ten my top ten favorite unsolved mysteries segments, and I used I used clips from the show a little on the heavy side to be honest um and but but there was still commentary in there for me you know commenting over it and you know i, I might have let 20 seconds of the original video go you know where i didn't talk over but you know whatever it still should have fallen into fair use but anyway whatever <laughs> it's, it's behind me <laughs> now it, and this actually worked out for the best in my opinion uh especially the rebrand and all of that uh, because it, it makes it so we can branch out and we can conceivably cover other cases that aren't Unsolved Mysteries related or, or other unexplained mysteries that were not covered on the show. And we've done that already. It enables us to do the new segment we have called News of the Bazaar. You know, so th this is stuff that I don't think really would have been that conceivable or really something we could really do uh, without, you know, kind of just... We're, you know, just basically, oh, it's Unsolved Mysteries, but we also do other stuff. <laughs> uh, that's, exactly way, what, that's exactly what I think, is because I, it was kind of a blessing in disguise that my video series got canceled because I so much prefer doing a podcast where I can branch mm -hmm. out and just sit at my desk and record it rather than going out and actually filming stuff uh, with me. So I yeah. think uh, I, I wouldn't have known that at the time, but three years later, it paid off well because the podcast has been. And yeah. more successful than I think a video series ever would be. In this, in this, uh, in our, in our podcast, I mean, it's you know, it's growing. The fan base is growing, things like that, and we appreciate everybody who listens to the show immensely. And uh, but it's one of those things where, with the new rebranding, I think it'll have a longer shelf life because you know, the, you know, there's only so many unsolved mystery segments. And there's and some of them really aren't really good enough to cover on a podcast. They're just yes. like, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. I guess I can do a bonus segment on it later, you know, type thing. Um, but this way we can cover stuff like on sightings or some of these other shows and, and so on. So, yeah, we did it, one recently about the West Memphis three, which was never yeah. surprisingly never covered on Unsolved Mysteries Pie because it would have been Paradise, too involved. Yeah, Paradise Lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing with that. me is a lot of the cases that I cover on my podcast are are like cold cases and mysteries people haven't even heard of, but I find them so fascinating. So I just want to get them out there, even though they were never featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. All right. So uh, I guess we'll move on to our first uh, Unsolved Mysteries segment here. This is uh, this is one that we've yet to cover on our podcast. This was actually Robin's idea. I thought it was. I think me and Mike had talked about doing it. it like many other segments, we like reference it, but then we like never brought it up. Uh, but this is the case of Teresita Bossa, and uh, we're just going to be passing the mic around the room because we're all shoved in a uh, little tin can in the middle of a desert right now. That's how we meet. That's how all, <laughs> all podcasters meet, by the way. Um, uh, it's very inconvenient and it's hot and sweaty in here, but hey, you know, it's, it's, what, <laughs> it's what, how it has to be done. So, um, anyway, um, I'm just going to dive into it. Uh, in August of 1977, Chicago police detectives Joseph Stachula and Lee Eplin 
We're six months deep into a frustratingly fruitless investigation to uncover the murder of Teresita Bassa, a respiratory therapist at Edgewater Hospital. On February 21st of that year, she died after a series of horrible acts, stabbed through her chest with a kitchen knife and set on fire under a pile of burning clothes and a mattress. This overkill shit just, it gets me every yeah. time, you know? It's like, it does. you can't just... It's like the case we covered last week, or or no, the few weeks ago with um, Larry uh, Dickens, you know, uh, who was played by Matthew McConaughey or whatever, the Texas Most yeah. Wanted case. It's not enough just to shoot the guy in the chest a few times. No, you got to go over to him and sh- shoot him in the head and empty your rifle out in his head while the mom's, you know, it's just like overkill. Like, these people are sick. Um, when you find out the motive that this guy had in this case, it's pretty sick that he did all that when yeah. all he wanted to do was steal a few things. <laughs> it's just robbery. Yeah. And it, it, it looks like something that's like a, a crime of passion. But like this isn't a crime of passion. It's just a guy who just wanted money. So she was stripped of her clothes and posed to look as if she'd been raped, though medical officials determined that she hadn't been. The case would end one of history's most bizarre crossroads of police work in the paranormal, using Bossa's own, quote, voice from the grave as heard through the body of a co-worker supposedly possessed by her spirit to help solve her own murder. On September 24th and 25th, Chicago for Chicagoans will conduct a walking tour of Edgewater's spectral past, including Bossa's story, at the defunct hospital. So I guess that hospital isn't around anymore that all this, uh, you know, the doctor well, worked at. September 25th on, in 2016, because this is an article from Okay, September so this 15th. already happened. So if you were looking forward to doing that, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, too bad. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, and, and Robin, uh, that see, on a normal podcast, that would be edited out. But, but here, it's endearing uh, to the people who listen. <laughs> they like listening to our stupidity because I feel like it makes them feel more intelligent than us, which they most definitely are. Uh, there's no argument. It feels about like that. it'll make them feel like they're in the room with us having our conversation. That's the whole point. It feels more yeah. real. Yeah, it's very. Yeah. 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 That's right. Make it seem like this was all a planned all, thing, and I did, all warm and cozy. Yeah, and and I'm not actually this dumb. This is a persona. That's that's a good angle. I like that. Yeah, I'm totally playing a role right now. I'm not really this stupid. Um, but what exactly happened to Bossa depends on whom or what you believe, using the Robert Stack what there, because he always has to emphasize the H, and whenever you ask a question, who, what, where. Um, you especially recognize that when you're listening to the podcast, you listen not to the podcast, to the show, and with your headphones, because I, you, keep, you keep mentioning that in the podcast, and then I, I've just, I kept hearing, I keep hearing it all the time now. The, the way he pronounces it's old school uh, i think it's the old yeah. school way of pronouncing it because uh, yeah. you know normally when you say what you don't even emphasize the h but not robert stack he's like what or who <laughs> uh so now we're getting to the crime who wants to take the uh, football on this one i guess i'll go next i'm the guest uh yeah there you go so the crime that night boss died she had been in her home and received at least two phone calls in the evening one around 7 10 p.m from a friend to talk about selling a pair of tickets for an upcoming event and another at 7.30 p.m., lasting about 20 minutes. Around 8.40 p.m., firefighters responded to a call of a fire on the 15th floor of Boss's apartment at 2740 North Pine Grove Avenue in Lincoln Park, where they found her mortally wounded body. Neighbors had alerted a maintenance worker who called 911 after smelling smoke. He let firefighters into Boss's apartment using a passkey. The home appeared to have been ransacked. 
Police had few clues about the killer after weeks of interviewing family and friends. According to the Tribune, one of the few things investigators discovered, though put little stock in right away, was a handwritten note from Boss's journal, Get Tickets from A.S. By August, the lukewarm case had a hot tip from Evanston police. Did Chicago know anything about an Edgewater Hospital respiratory technician named Alan Showery? Connecting the initials from Boss's note and the name from Evanston police, Chicago detectives were put in touch with Evanston residents Jose and Remyabis Chua. And I want to mention that the Unsolved Mystery segment, for some reason, uh, Jose and Remy Chua actually used fake names. Uh, they they didn't want to use their real names in the segment, so they were called, I think, Enrico or uh, yeah, Enrico and Alicia Borda. So it's ah. kind of weird because they used fake names in the segment. But if you go on the internet, like their real names, Jose and Remy Chua, are everywhere. So I'm I'm kind of curious why they didn't want to be mentioned on Unsolved Mysteries because they got a lot of publicity when this case originally happened. Yeah, well, understandably so. It's so bizarre. So Jose, a doctor, stole, t- stole. Jose, a doctor, told Stachula his wife had become possessed by someone claiming to be Teresita Bassa on three separate occasions, complete with details on how Bassa was killed and by whom. The doctor told police he didn't know Bassa and was not aware of her murder until his wife's possession. Not wanting to look foolish, the doctor said he had waited to talk to police, thinking he could avoid having to explain his strange story. He told police the voice coming from his wife, who had been acting increasingly unlike her normal self in the months after the murder, told him that Showery had come to repair Boss's television, but ended up stabbing her and robbing her of jewelry before setting that fire and fleeing. Now, in the segment, they don't, they're not that detailed with it. It's, it's vague. It's more vague. And, and therefore, it's also more creepy. So, you know, it's just like, who are you? I'm Teresita Bassa, you know, and then it just kind of mentions something about the jewelry. And then Robert Stack kind of fills in the blanks with the whole like what's going on with the what he admitted in terms of the confession. And another thing I read in another article is apparently this uh, this conversation didn't even happen in English. Apparently they were using like some dialect from the Philippines. So the real life incident was them talking in like an entirely different language. Uh, which Tagalog, is Tagalog probably. That's the that's the language most people speak in the Philippines. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah. So investigators went to Shower's apartment where he first denied killing Basa. Though two items of her jewelry, a pearl ring and a jade pendant, were found among his girlfriend's possessions. The girlfriend told police Showery had been given the jewelry, Showery had given the jewelry to her as a late Christmas gift. The pieces were confirmed to belong to Bassa by friends and members of her family. Confronted with the information, police told Showery changed his story. Showery knew Bassa from work, and knowing Showery was in a tough financial spot, she had tipped him generously for helping her with errands and other tasks, according to reports. He admitted to going to visit Bassa the night of her death, rendering her unconscious, staging a sexual assault, and stealing what little he could before igniting the fire. Police then promptly booked him. Now, I'm not trying to sound like whatever here, like morbid or perverted, but... Like, I wonder why he didn't sexually assault her. Because normally that always happens, but he, like, staged it. You know, like, I don't know. Usually people just, if they're going to go that far, they usually do all that. So it's almost like, he, it's, 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 it's a kind of a fucked up situation. Because on the one hand, he did kill her and steal from her and stuff. But on the other hand, it's like he didn't 
sexually assault her. So what does that mean? He has a little bit of a conscience, you know, like what does that imply? You know, it's kind of it's, it's, it's like shows his weird moral mixed compass. messages. Yeah. I don't think it's mentioned in this article, but it, I actually read in another one that Teresita Bossa was still a virgin. And that's how they knew that she hadn't been raped is because she uh. uh, that's how they conducted a medical examiner. But he wanted to make it look like she'd been raped to and that she'd been burned to cover up the evidence. But he didn't actually rape her. So, yeah, that is pretty strange that uh, he would go to this trouble to make it look like a sexual assault. But he didn't realize, I think, that they'd be able to tell that she wasn't sexually assaulted. Yeah, this guy was kind of a dumbass. <laughs> it, really, any way you slice it. Which I can relate to. So anyway, uh, the trial. Uh, Showery's trial was dubbed the voice from the grave trial. That's Tales from the Crypt shit right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that actually is a title for Tales from the Crypt What episode. a surprise. <laughs> so centering on Remy Chua's testimony that bosses spoke of her death through my lips, quote unquote, the Tribune reported. The prosecution, prosecution presented 13 witnesses over four days to a jury of eight men and four women. Though interestingly, the Chuas testified as a witness for the defense as witnesses for the defense. Evidence gathered as a result of the mysterious voices information pointed to Shaori's guilt, the state argued. However, by the fifth day of the trial, Shaori said he'd only confessed to the crime two years earlier after police had fed him information and threatened to arrest him and his pregnant girlfriend on murder charges, according to the Tribune. He contended he had dinner with his girlfriend on the night of the murder before drinking and playing darts with a neighbor around 7.30 p.m. Showery's trial ended on January 26, 1979 in a mistrial with a deadlocked jury. Now, with this whole case, I mean, the voice from the grave aspect is definitely the thing that stands out the most. And a lot of the stuff that is supposedly said by uh, Chua... Or in the Unsolved Mysteries segment case, what was her name? Uh, uh, Borda. Borda. By Borda. Uh, it is very damning. It's very damning evidence. And it's like, how would she really know that? But maybe she might know that. Maybe she just kind of just made it up and was like, hey, I know there was some jewelry missing. I know she has a ring. I know she, you know, because she was friends with Teresita Bassa, right? So... I don't know how big friends they were. I know they worked together, but I don't oh, know okay. if they were close friends because I seem to remember her husband said that uh, when his wife started saying, I am Terabita Bassa, he didn't even know who that was. He didn't yeah. even recognize her name. So yeah. it doesn't sound like they were close. Yeah. So it's one of those things. It's like, it, it, does this really happen? I mean, it, there's there's a lot of evidence. You know, there's a lot of this uh, very damning evidence that's provided by this so-called voice from beyond the grave. So, um, I don't know. Well, the thing that makes but me... I, I know the segment, though, is, is really effective, because I, I, this segment always sticks out to me. It's very eerie. But... It's it just the whole possessing somebody to speak for them from behind the grave is something you don't see very often in these type of things. Like, you see, if so, it's like possession thing. You have something like the... What was that case where that girl was, like, laughing... You know, like crazy or whatever. Was that the entity? Oh, that's uh, the Alan Mann case. Alan Mann case. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 actually that that part where she starts laughing maniacally in the reenactment that that kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> I don't know, kind of hard for me to watch sometimes if I'm alone. But well, I mean, well, be, it would be freaky to experience this too. Like imagine you're with well, your girlfriend right. and all of a sudden it's like. 
Well, that's what gives She's it credence to me because, like, you know, if 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 this if this chick knew this information about Teresita Bassa and she's like, well, I don't know how else to tell police this, so I'm just going to say a voice from the grave told me. That yeah, is, that doesn't make any sense. That's like the really. last resort I would go yeah. to it, it, by means of conveying information to a police officer. It's like, um, well, I heard a, f- a friend told me uh, or... You know, I saw it written on a bathroom wall somewhere or this, you know, the last. You're not going to go from that to ghost. The voice uh, (laughs) possessed my body when I was taking a nap and told my husband, you know, it's just it's too far fetched to me to to be something that they just like conjured up in their mind as a way to convey the information to the police officers. I think one of the most interesting aspects is the trial because you have Showery has this pretty damning evidence because he has the victim's jewelry that he stole from her. But how do you present it in court how they obtain this evidence? Because the only way they found out is because a woman claimed that the spirit of the victim had possessed her and told them about the jewelry. And it's I'd I'd love to read the transcripts for this trial because they not to crack up. Exactly. But well, I love that tidbit in the article here about how the Chua's were brought in as witnesses for the defense because they figured, well, if we put them on the sand and they say that a ghost told them that Showery had the jewelry, <laughs> then that's going to ruin all our credibility with the jury. And it it kind of worked because, like you just said, it was a, a mistrial because the jury was deadlocked, even though the evidence was pretty damning. But how do you dance around that at a trial that like ghosts are involved? So I I can't imagine how this played out. (laughs) All right, Robin, do you want to take the questions? Sure. A month later, nearly two years after boss's murder, Shaori pleaded guilty to the killing while awaiting a new trial against the advice of his lawyers who urged him not to take a gamble with another jury. He was sentenced to a total of 14 years for the murder, robbery and arson. He was paroled from Stateville Correctional Center near Joliet in July of 1983. Wow, he got off way too easy. It's like such a brutal crime, and he only wound up doing four years. Well, sadly, that's something we see a lot (laughs) on with these updates. It's true. Like a lot of how many criminals like who were incarcerated after Unsolved Mysteries are free right now. Yeah, and apparently Showery is still alive somewhere. I don't know if that for sure, but uh, he really got off easy considering the nature of the crime. Well, you know that saying like uh, "good die young and assholes live forever." That is that rings so true with unsolved mysteries because the amount of cases we covered where we find out that the perpetrator is still alive and the the people, the family or the mother, you know, who lost a kid or whatever, they died. You know, like they're dead. And, and the person who took the life of the person, they're, they're still alive and kicking, you know, or they're free, which is even worse. You know, you see that a lot on the Amazon Prime uh, yes. episodes. It, yeah. it gives you the, update. the updates are depressing. Yeah, because it says so and so did their time and has now been re- has since been released. And it's like, ah, really? They got released. I know. I mean, it's one thing if they're a bank robbery. But when you find out they murdered someone and they're released, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Because I think this Unsolved Mystery segment aired in 1990, and Alan Showery would have been out for seven years at that point, which is kind of mind-blowing to yeah, think this about. this is season two. Yeah. yeah th- 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 this was one they covered mainly for the unexplained aspect of it. They didn't cover it for the whole who killed Teresita Bassa, because there really wasn't an Unsolved Mystery with that. 
One uh, interesting thing I noticed is I think this was released. They aired the segment around the same time that the Patrick Swayze movie Ghost came out. And this <laughs> kind of has a similar plot where a murder victim comes back from the grave to finger their killer. So I almost wonder if they did it as kind of a cash in on the movie. You never know. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Anyway, I'll continue now. Uh, Though Showery served time for Boss's murder, questions about the case linger. For example, Remy Chua and Showery weren't strangers. Both worked in the same department at Edgewater Hospital with Bossa. Chua suspected Showery of making complaints about her quality of work at the hospital, Showery's defense had argued. Just one day before Chua's first possession, Chua admitted she believed Showery had made a prank phone call to her. Her psychic symptoms started within hours of discovering she'd lost her job. Stahula himself expressed, expressed skepticism when it came to how Shua obtained her information about Shaori and his alleged involvement, but believed, nonetheless, everything here is completely true. Those who have followed and written about the case over the years have offered their own theories, ranging from a possible subconscious fear or aversion Shua may have had of Shaori, or Chua witnessing or overhearing Shaori talk about his involvement, but not knowing how to express the information. Others have held the story up as shining proof of paranormal phenomena. The Chuas gave their version of events by way of a book titled A Voice from the Grave, written by friend Carol Mercado. In 1980, they told the Tribune they believed their mission was now accomplished. The story has since appeared in countless television roundups of unsolved or paranormal crimes, and in 1996, it was made into a movie by the same Voice from the Grave name, and incidentally, I found out that movie was produced by Cosgrove and Muir Productions. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they did They did a, quite a few of those. They did a few of those. Uh, they used to call it From the Files of Unsolved Mysteries, and then would have, like, the title or whatever. Yes, I, yeah. I remember they did one about the Dave Davis-Shannon Moore case mm-hmm. uh, that they did. They did a made-for-TV movie about that. Author Ray Johnson wrote in February that he had tried to track down Showery, now in his 70s, and found his native New York to be the last known place he had lived. Did Showery kill Bassa? Why did he confess so near to walking free? And what of the coincidental timing of Remy Chua's psychic abilities and her own bizarre run-ins with Showery? All of us want to believe in life after death, Jose Chua said after the trial. Yeah, that, that extra question stuff is stuff that wasn't really touched upon in the segment on unsolved mysteries like the whole kind of oh it might be kind of dubious you know her connection uh with uh showery and so on but it's not like they were really good friends or knew each other that well i mean you can be know somebody air quotes like you can know somebody because you work with them but that doesn't know mean that you really know them that well um but it is what the one that really does stand out to me it's a couple of a couple of uh, things here. It, it's the one where she says she she suspected Showery of making complaints about her quality of work at the hospital, and that she believes that he made a prank phone call to her. She believes she that Showery make a, made a prank phone call. You know, don't go making phony Tony calls. calls. Uh, and uh, then then her psychic symptoms all of a sudden just started a- appearing. After she lost her job. I mean, that makes me really skeptical. Like the timing. It does. She really 
probably suspected Shaori all along, maybe, but uh, just didn't have the evidence. But the way she went about it, like, why she didn't just call the police and l say, look at this guy, Alan Shaori, because it, that made sense, because, like, his initials were on a note in Teresita's apartment. But instead, she decides to go through this whole charade of pretending she was possessed by a ghost to share this information. And I just cannot figure out why she would do that. <laughs> That's why, was it real? Was she actually possessed by the ghost, or was she not? I, I, it's one of those, it's that little bit of evidence there that's provided, though, makes me more skeptical than I have been in the past. And, you know, Unsolved Mysteries has done that before. They've, they've had cases, and they've left out some things and haven't really covered everything that they could. But, you know, they also have a limited amount of time. I, th this segment wasn't even 10 minutes, if I remember correctly. So it was a pretty short segment. For the most part, I think that's another reason why we didn't really cover it, right? Right? Maybe, Josh, because it was like it was just a very short segment. Is that like we didn't know what we would really say about it? But thankfully, you know, for you know, thanks to Robin, we have articles like this where it's like, oh, okay, there's a little bit extra now that you know we didn't really know that much about before. Yeah, Robin's coming on, on here making us look the... bad with all of his his research and all of his <laughs> doing his homework on things. I might have found something if I just searched Teresita Bassa maybe, but you know, just So yeah, that's uh that's the Teresita Bassa case. Um yeah, I thought with the reenactment it was kind of funny too, like the the voice and like I yeah. I, I seem to remember uh, like, didn't her body like light up with this like blue light they use, yeah. you know? And yeah. she's like, uh, and she's like, why didn't you go to police? And the <laughs> husband's just like, I don't have any proof. I'll give you proof. You know, it's just, uh, I don't yeah. know. I just thought it was kind of I, funny. I, I, li I like the police guy too, uh, Stahula, you know, where he was yeah. saying things, what he was mentioning about like, you know, I didn't want to write a police report about this. <laughs> He's great. I love how he plays himself at all the reenactments yeah. and he takes it so seriously and I think gives credibility to the case because he's not a skeptic. He's not dismissing it. He says, I really don't know what happens. I have no logical explanation, but all I know is that if uh, Mrs. Chua hadn't done this, then we never would have found the evidence to find Alan Showery. So he, he's, he's, he, he makes it believable because he, he sells the whole thing 100%. You know, it's yeah. funny because like the police officers in all these segments, they typically play themselves and they typically always do a pretty good job. So it's like all these police officers out there just have this secret acting flair. The rainbow, the rainbow, rainbow, boy, rainbow, rainbow, <laughs> the rainbow. Been listening too much. Been listening name. to too much Dio there, Mike. <laughs> like a rainbow in the dark. Uh, rainbow. Rainboy. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, the rainboy. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The police. Yeah. The police officers there, and then um, the um, what's the case? Uh, uh, bad chief. The bad chief case with Greg Webb. Oh yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> That was a great case. I, you know, I don't know why I like that case so much, but I just do. I think the cinematography for the yeah. reenactment was just so good in that one that it's just like you couldn't help but to like it. I remember the police officer during the reenactment where he was asking Greg Webb, were you having a sexual relationship with Anna Anton? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. And then he too. then he like kind of turns away like a like a scared child and he drinks his coffee. And then the, yes. then the detective goes. Did you have a, any relations with Anna Anton? And then he's like, "Yes." 
we met at we met at Arnold's Park and blah blah blah. blah. Like yeah, I thought that was good. I love I, even when the acting's kind of like you know a, a little whatever, a little dodgy. I, I still like it. I don't know. I, I find it endearing for some reason. I don't know. Stands the test of time, in my opinion. That's just me. Anyone? Nothing. No, no, I do love the older I mean, ones. I do love the older ones where the where they had the real people playing themselves. It just added so much authenticity to the reenactments. Even when they weren't good actors, it still felt more real. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I already told the the uh, people on our Facebook group. Which, by the way, if you want to join it, it's facebook.com slash uh, uncovering unexplained mysteries and our group is also called uncovering unexplained mysteries way more interactive you should totally join it and uh i i break a lot of news on there about the podcast that uh i just i don't know i don't do it on the facebook page because I, I hate the facebook fan pages they're so not interactive you know like i don't know if you've no- noticed this for your page as well robin but like when someone posts a comment on the fan page it just gets shoved off to the side and it doesn't even you don't really even see it. Um, so we started a group for the podcast and it's so much more interactive and so much easier for the fans to communicate and all that. But uh, anyway, on that group, uh, you guys found out about this interview. Uh, but also, yeah, we got coming up uh, next week. Um, Donna Parks, uh, the sister of Larry Dickens. Uh, I, I actually interviewed her and was able to talk to her. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was able to talk to her about the case and she's a really awesome lady, and she was very nice. And so, um, yeah, so there's some insight. You'll get a little inside info behind that and, and uh, her connection with Matthew McConaughey and yada, yada, yada. So, uh, yeah, that'll, be, that'll definitely be a fun thing that you guys can uh, look forward to next week. Um, and, you know, since, since I'm the professional guy I am, I'll go ahead and plug the Patreon right now, too. If you want to uh, contribute to our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries there's a bunch of perks and whatnots on there sweet sweet whatnots you should go over there and check it out um so the next thing that uh we're gonna be talking about on here um so cindy james um a lot of people know who she is there's a book written about her uh another fellow uh, canadian up there neighbors to the north uh that was that that is by far one of the most uh i guess popular cases that people like to talk about even nowadays it's a very polarizing case as well uh we covered the cindy james case and we got is that the one where we got a lot of flack from we, somebody we, yes from one person we got we got a lot of flack because um i'm trying to think of what they called it on the ultimate box set was it scared to death yeah, yeah. scared to death yes, oh, yes it was okay yeah scared to death segment um yeah so so basically, in short, just very short, um, Cindy James was a woman who was married, and she got divorced. After she got divorced, she started getting harassing phone calls, and some sketchy stuff started happening to her. Um, she would be found unconscious in her living room with a uh, note pinned through her hand with a knife, you know, saying, you're going to die, and this, that, and the other. And then she ends up dead. But the police say they ruled it a suicide. And you might be asking, what? How could that be a suicide? You're crazy. But then when you really examine the various factors of what was going on there, there's, there's a lot of mental illness, possibly, and uh, just a lot of 
things that don't add up to quote one of the investigators. She didn't act in the way that a normal victim would act. So me and Mike were kind of talking about how, yeah, you know, why didn't she go to the police? Blah, 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 blah. And yeah, someone, you know, we, we got a little bit of flack for that because some, someone was like saying like, uh, you need to research on uh, how victims act and the psychology of being a victim and, and you were ignorant how you approached it and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, fair enough. We're ignorant sometimes. Uh, but I feel like in this case, though, and, and uh, Robin, you covered this on your podcast, The Trail Went Cold, and I, I feel like you did a really good job on it because you actually dug up some tidbits that, that weren't mentioned on, on Unsolved Mysteries because apparently Cindy James's sister has a website where she actually... And, and I, you, you can explain this better than I can, Robin, but she actually, like, posts, she posted some of the letters that Cindy James received, and there's some more information on there. Oh, yes, there's there's a ton of extra information about this case. Uh, I believe her website is melaniehack.com, which is her name, and it shows about photographs and images of the letters. And what's interesting is that she claims she had written a manuscript, like a, her own book, telling her side of the story, which she says was going to be the true story of what really happened to her sister. But I don't think it's ever been published, but uh, I don't know if it's ever going to see the light of day. But a lot of the extra information I got about this case is uh, Neil Hall. He's the Vancouver Sun reporter who's interviewed in the Unsolved Mysteries oh, segment. Oh, I love he that guy. Yeah, we, the yeah, we, yeah, we loved that guy. We thought he was great in that segment. Yeah, he, he's great. And, and the book is great, too. It's called The Deaths of Cindy James. And what is good about it is that even though in interviews he openly says that he believes Cindy staged everything herself. The book is pretty unbiased and objective. Like he keeps his personal opinions out of it. He just presents the facts and lets you make your own decisions. Uh, I haven't, I took out the book from the library many years ago because this is a pretty big case up here in Canada. I think it's gotten a lot more media coverage than it does in the States. And I read it, but I, I wanted to read it again, but long out of print. But I, I had some notes on it, and I knew someone else who read it to consulted with me to help make sure I got the facts correct. And I also got more information in a uh, magazine that came out a couple years ago, McLean's Magazine, involved Canadian Mysteries, and it had an article about uh, the Cindy James case, and I learned a lot of new information. Uh, I think the most interesting new piece of information, which wasn't mentioned on Unsolved Mysteries, is that one of the original police investigators who took over her case back in 1982 when she started getting this harassment, Cindy had an affair with her. His, his name was Pat McBride, and apparently he was the only police officer who believed her story. Like, uh, all the other police officers were skeptical, but he was the one who supported her. And they oh. moved in together for a brief period, and apparently uh, she a he flat out asked her to uh, marry him, but uh, she had just separated from her old husband, and she just wasn't ready to get married again. And they went their separate way for, for a while, but uh, uh, only a few months after Cindy's suicide took place, Pat got in trouble for sexually assaulting a woman. In fact, he sexually assaulted two separate women and apparently told one of the women that uh, she reminded him of Cindy Jane. Uh, he claimed when he went to trial, he claimed that the stress of Cindy's death had caused him to snap. And that's why he did this. And that had an affair with her, had a negative effect 
in his career, and he got a pretty lenient sentence. I think it was only something like a year's probation, um, and then he was released, and I think he has since passed away, but it instantly made me wonder if he could be involved in, in any of the harassment and assaults on her, but apparently they checked into him and found no evidence that he was involved, but it, it just made me look at it in an entirely different light, that during this time, harassed and stalked, she's having an affair with one of the police officers. I just find that pretty troubling. <laughs> Yeah, that that def- yeah. that definitely uh I mean, you know, we just talked about the Greg Webb case with uh Anna Anton and I mean, you know, Greg got taken off the case because he was messing around with her. I mean, that was a big deal. And then he eventually got implicated and you know, they searched his apartment, and they found blood and all this and they found out that he actually did it. So I I think the the fact that uh, there was a possible affair going on, or, or you know, when I say affair, I mean sexual relationship. I don't mean she was having an affair on her husband because they weren't together anymore. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty big. That's that's definitely something that maybe unsolved mysteries didn't know at the time. But that's definitely something they could have mentioned. I feel like, or maybe they didn't know. I don't know. But that's that's a pretty juicy detail to leave out. You know. Yeah, I don't know if he had been convicted of sexual assault yet at the time they made the segment because I think it happened in 1991 but it's like that's when the alarm bells go off and the fact that he told one of his victims you remind me of my ex Cindy but uh, surprisingly uh, I also read another tidbit that Pat McBride claimed that he was in the room when Cindy got one of calls like she didn't hear a voice on the other end but uh, apparently he he overheard the call and there was silence and it sounded like a, a woman's voice on the PA in the background so he's one of the few independent witnesses who claimed he was present when he received one of her weird phone calls. It's weird, like, the witnesses claims they heard her receive phone calls where there was no one who can actually confirm that they heard anyone threatening her over the phone, but uh, this is one of the evidence that she was at least getting weird phone calls for her. I'm not sure if they were actually harassing her at that point. Man, I'm gonna have to do some... some uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do some editing on that because uh, your connection started breaking up bad again. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, we'll, we'll make. Is there anything you want me to repeat? Um, everything. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, it is kind of like that. Yeah, it is kind of like everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird because it was doing good and then it got it, it got those big breaks uh, again in the. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why it's doing that. Uh, it's weird. Um, it, you know, Canada is like right there next to the United States, but every they have to make everything difficult. Like uh, one of our, one of <laughs> one of my fans like ordered one of my uh, my because I do music on the side and I released an album and she ordered the album and she lives in Canada and and it was stuck at customs for like a few weeks before they finally uh-huh. like gave it to her and it's like geez man like come did on did you put the extra stuff on there like did you file fill yeah, out yeah, all the, I did, the, the declaration and all form and all that crap yeah I did all that and it's still like. I don't know. It took a while for it to actually get to her. So I was like, damn it, man. What's up with, what's up with you guys? Don't you trust us down here? <laughs> I've had that happen to me before where I've received stuff from the States that was trapped at customs for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. But um, yeah, so basically you were just saying that Cindy James was involved with a police officer on the case and that he uh, got sentenced. Uh, how, what did he get? Like some kind of probation or something? That's where you kind of cut out. Uh, uh, one year in prison and two years probation. Oh, wow, okay. And I think he's passed away a couple years ago, from what I've heard. 
Well, he was on he was on Unsolved Mysteries, so of course he's dead now. Yeah. We found that most <laughs> most people on Unsolved Mysteries are actually dead now. From anytime so, we do research, it seems like they're dead. Yeah. So you were talking about how she received some phone calls, and there was somebody who was a witness there, and apparently there's something like maybe the phone calls were there was a couple of them that were silent. It was earlier on in the harassment, like uh, she started getting phone calls that were silent and there were a few of them where there were actually other corroborating witnesses who could confirm this like none of them actually heard any voices on the line threatening her but apparently pat mcbride was in the room for one of these calls and he thought he heard a sound of a woman's voice on a pa in the background so there are people who confirm that she was getting weird phone calls but they did not actually hear any voices so Mm -hmm. they couldn't actually confirm that anyone was threatening her so what do you what what's your opinion on the whole um, her being found in the living room unconscious with a paring knife through her hand? I mean, yes, you could technically do that to yourself, but geez, man, like that's some level of uh, crazy to to inflict that that kind of damage on yourself. Yeah, like that's the part that bothered me. Like there is, I know the one thing that bothers the skeptics is that the door door was locked from the inside and that like the private investigator had to break the door down and there were no signs of forced entry but yeah i just cannot imagine what it would be like to stab yourself through the hand like that that with a nose like you really would have to be seriously like like completely mentally ill to pull off something like that so it's one of those things on the fence i think she said something how she was attacked by two people like she remembered being killed by someone while another person stabbed a knife but again she didn't provide any description of the attackers and stuff so i just don't know what to make of that like some of the things she did you you get skeptical but you could think how could a person be capable of doing this to themselves it is it is pretty crazy but you know i have read some cases and some things where people have done some pretty insane things while they're uh, going through a mental breakdown or, or, or some kind of a moment where they're not really all there anymore. So, you know, the stuff that they might do not do when they're all in the right mindset, uh, is not really something that they're going to not, go through it's like it's kind of it's a kind of um there's like this kind of mental sort of block that gets in their head and the crazy stuff just becomes normal type deal and it's just like it's just like oh i i because there's a lot of self-harm stuff so people can kind of interpret that maybe as like an extension of self-harm due to mental illness or you know but it is it is one of those like really bizarre cases of it because it's not just cutting herself or something like that it's stabbing a knife through her hand with a note it's really specific yeah and robin weren't you suggesting munchausen syndrome on your uh, when you covered this i know that was suggested that uh i know i don't know I, I that wasn't my personal theory but i think like the police or one of the psychiatrists who were yeah. examining her thought that might be a possibility uh, but the thing that always gets me is that if she staged the whole thing herself, it's amazing that she could do it for six years without getting caught. Like they, there were a lot of people who were skeptical that she actually caught her in the act. And uh, when you think about the time and effort it would have taken to do that, if she could do it without leaving any evidence behind. But at the same time, it's also incredible that someone else could do this to her for six years and not leave any evidence yeah. without being caught. That's- yeah. My theory is that mixture of half and half, maybe, that yeah. she was harassed at some points and that it drove her to start harming herself at some point. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that's a great theory that 
she was harassed at some point. Maybe it's like these disturbing phone calls or whatever. And then she got more and more involved with it. And she ended up going through some sort of psychosis and uh, ended up harassing herself. Yeah, it's 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 one of those cases where it's so like that's I think that's what makes like the best unsolved mysteries cases is the ones where you really can't definitively say it one way or the other. And it's like right when you think you're leaning towards one conclusion, you kind of have to go, well, but then there's this and, you know, it's it's just like uh I think any any of the cases on Unsolved Mysteries where, where that was kind of what's going on and it's still an Unsolved Mystery, like those those were like some of my favorite episodes. And I mean, the Cindy James one, it's just so bizarre. I mean, how can you not <clears throat> get some kind of, um, you know, weird uh, entertainment out of watching something like that? It's like the like a shit show going on. You, you know? can't like, you can't look away. Right. You can't it, look it's, away. It's it's it's. it's crazy and then and then you have the end you know how she her body was found i mean that's a very complicated you know thing to do yourself and not but they showed that you could they showed that you could do it but at the same time it just it just seems like there's a lot of thought process that's going going into all of this and if she's mentally ill how how are you gonna have like the presence of mind to do all these things and with all this detail and with all this accuracy robin you were sa- you were saying on your uh when you covered the cindy james thing she she was actually pretty damn suicidal though right like when she was in like in a, uh, in a mental hospital for a while recovering she started saying to like her psychiatrist that the world might be a better place if i end my suffering and commit suicide when i get out but uh i know that her psychiatrist said that he genuinely believed that uh, she believed what she was talking about, that she genuinely did believe that even if she was doing it to herself, that she was being harassed. So maybe if if she was doing it to herself, she was in like another total state of mind and did not even remember it. But he thought she sounded sincere. And I know that uh, there was a brief period when she was in the psychiatric ward where she tried to starve herself to death as a form of suicide. So she, she was really out there at that point. But uh, I, I think the key point is that if she was conducting a hoax, she was not getting any enjoyment from it because she uh. really looked like she was suffering and going through her personal health. So it's not like she was just doing it to get attention. Like she was really yeah. going through a rough time. So I think that's what terrifies people is that if, if, if there was no stalker and there was no harassment, it's just as terrifying to think that she could do put herself through this for yeah. six and a half years. Yeah. A hundred different phone calls, I think to the police or something like that. And, yeah, it, it it is it is one of the craziest cases that have been covered on the show, and you know I, I have the same uh, final thoughts about it as I did when we did the uh, episode of the podcast about it. I'm I'm it's just one of those like I don't know type things. I really don't know for sure exactly what happened. So it, it's one of those where. I have theories, and I, I do. I do think the idea that she might have been harassed early on, and then it turned into something bigger, and then she started harassing herself, is one of the most plausible theories. But it's still crazy to think about it, like how she could have done that to herself for six years, how nobody could have caught her in the act. It, it, yeah, it, it is an absolutely bizarre. Yeah, well, my whole thing about it is, is like. You would almost need somebody in law enforcement to pull off the 
the kind of harassing that went on there in the way that it happened. You'd almost need uh, an inside guy who, you know, was in with the police department. and. But who would go along with that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a question. You know? <laughs> Why would they go along with it? Even if it's somebody that, even if it's a cop who was having a, a relationship with her, what does he have to gain by doing that? The one thing that really bothers me about the police investigation is that they say in the segment that whenever they watch Cindy, that nothing would ever happen. But then the minute they pulled their surveillance, she would get attacked again. But I always thought the solution to that was that why not tell Cindy you're leaving and pretend that you're pulling surveillance, <laughs> but stay there and hide. And then if she she winds, if she thinks you're gone and then starts attacking herself again or someone else starts attacking her, then you can catch them in the act. I always thought that could have been the solution to end this whole thing, but they never thought of that, unfortunately. Yeah, that is a great idea. I mean, it's similar to kind of thing I think they did with the Enfield Poltergeist case uh, where they found the kid caught him in the act, you know, knocking stuff off the table. But then you have the whole thing that, well, then there's all this other stuff that happened before then. And then, you know, but yeah, I mean, that is a really interesting thought. I, I, I don't know why they didn't think of that. It remains an unsolved mystery. The one thing that always bothers me is that at, through all this, they had that big uh, coroner's inquest at the end where they had like over eight, 80 witnesses to testify so they could determine was this murder, was this suicide and then at the end the coroner's jury decides that Cindy James died of an unknown event no shit <laughs> like, <laughs> like that solves nothing, it's like you go through all this and, you're, and your answer is like well we really have no idea what happened so case closed yeah, we here at uh, you know our investigation we have concluded that Cindy James is no longer alive <laughs> oh my god that solves everything <laughs> she has it's ceased like, to be cause, cause, cindy james cause of death we have no fucking idea yeah <laughs> okay so i'm picturing robert stack saying that like he said in ba basketball where he says we have no fucking idea how she died <laughs> i couldn't believe they got they got my robert stack to talk that way i, I thought it was funny but at the same time i was like i don't know it just seems so sacrilegious to unsolved mysteries but it was funny, though. And it was cool that he yeah. did that before he died. Um, unfortunately, I am running short on time. I've always got to be the buzzkill of these situations. But before I, before we wrap this up, um, I, I just posted on our group like 50 minutes ago um, if anyone had any questions for you. Probably would have been more if I had posted this earlier, but I didn't think about it till now. Um, our Canadian listener, Morgan, from Saskatoon, says that... Uh, you can tell him I thoroughly enjoyed his review of Cindy James. So, that thank you very much, Morgan. Um, and Shelley Watson asks, um, ask him to describe the process he goes through to research and put together his episodes. Well, I actually before I did the podcast, I had a lot, lot of experience writing for Cracked and List First, like writing articles ah. about unsolved mysteries and true crime. Oh, cool! Uh, like. I would, the Cindy James case was actually featured in one of my cracked articles. So what I do is I just go onto the internet and I just uncover like everything I can about this case. And uh, I also have a subscription to newspapers.com and you can find like a ton of great material there. I recently did an episode on the Clarence Roberts case from Unsolved Mysteries and I found something like dozens of old articles about the case at newspapers.com that 
provided information that I did not know from the segment. So, but that that's one of my favorite challenges is finding every piece of information I can find, uh, and, and in the unsolved mysteries cases, finding information that wasn't presented on the segment, and then compiling it all together, presenting it on the podcast, and then giving my own theories and analysis about what I think happened. Well, right on. That's awesome. Um, so where can people find you and find your podcast if they just can't get enough of tr- uh, mysteries and mysteriousness? Um, you know, it, his podcast is different than ours, but, you know, I find that they're a, a nice compendium uh, for each other. They go together well because his is uh, much more, um, you know, just like very factual and informative. And ours is amateur and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what. I don't know what it is. But it's a lot more laid back because I laid back. Yeah, that's a better word for it than total amateur hour. I mean, I I get to (laughs) express a sense of humor on this show rather than being serious all the time, like I am on my podcast. So I definitely appreciate that. (laughs) But yes, you can find me at trailwentcold.com. I also have a Facebook group, The Trail Went Cold, and also on Twitter at the handle uh, Robin Warder. And if you want to read my writing, you can look up my name at crack.com and listverse.com. I release a new episode of my podcast every week. Uh, This morning, I actually released a new episode about LaFont, the the Unsolved Mysteries case about the harassing phone calls that lasted for 10 straight years, which is pretty similar to the Cindy James case. So if you liked uh, my episode about that, then you'll love my episode about uh, LaFont. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to check that one out. Uh, You actually used uh, audio from the show there. I was like, oh, ballsy. Yes. (laughs) We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we got a uh, we got another person just chimed in. Joe Baxter says, uh, "Not really a question, but I always look forward to each new episode. So, if we haven't sold you on the trail went cold yet, then I don't know what will. I don't know what we got. What do we got to do to put you in this car? I'll do anything. What What do I got to do? <laughs> um, uh, say my say my catchphrase. So I guess you could say the trail went cold. <laughs> 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 it sounds so much less uh, serious and impactful when you're on our uh, silly amateur hour uh, podcast here. We don't have the dramatic music in the background. Um, but uh, no, anyway, it's it's really cool. I actually, uh, the intro for this podcast, I want to do like a mashup of uh, your theme and our theme. Uh, I'm, I'm a sound guy, so I know exactly what uh, you're. Do you have like a different audio guy or did you compose that theme song? I uh, know I have a composer. Uh, his name is Vince Nitro. Uh, that's not his real name, but uh, uh, that, he's a, if that was his real name, I mean, holy shit! Yeah, what that a name, be, really. But he's a musical <laughs> genius. Like uh, the 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 theme we have right now, he composed it four years ago on my failed video series, and he's always coming up with new great themes that capture the essence of unsolved mysteries. And I don't think the podcast would be the same without it. Yeah, no, I thought it, I, I liked, yeah, I definitely like that ambiance, uh, you know, the music for Unsolved Mysteries, the show itself, I mean, it can't be stated enough how important that was to the scare factor and the overall creepiness of the show. Um, so, but yeah, I, 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 I'm a music guy myself, so I know when I heard the theme, I was like, yeah, I know exactly what program he uses and exactly what sound, so uh, I want to do like a little mashup of our themes at the beginning. I think that would be kind of uh, funny and kind of cool. Um, but anyway, I'm trying to think of what else here. Oh, yeah. If you want to check out more of me and Mike, 
You can find us on YouTube. Uh, Mike's channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does movie reviews and uh, sometimes he taste tests food and uh, sometimes he'll even play a video game or two. My YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And uh, I just did a video about Adam Sandler's comedy CDs. Did you know he did comedy CDs? He did, and they're very vulgar. And uh, I did a review on that. I do vlogs, and I taste test food, and I talk about video games, and it's a whole mixed bag of, of goodness. Um, what else? What else is there? Do I, oh. You didn't list the channel names. You just said... You just said we're on YouTube and didn't give them the Yeah, I did. I said o- OCT. Oh, you did. Yeah. yeah. Mike, are you high right now? <laughs> oh, I just I've been I, I I've been really like burned out by all this uh, visiting with all my my family members for like the past couple of days. It's just oh, been hours and hours and hours of just hanging out and whatever and driving around. So, yeah, I I'm I'm a little bit out of it. Okay. Yeah, how's your ingrown toenail, by the way? <laughs> people are people are wondering about that. I don't know if it's really ingrown, to be honest. Like I've been doing the foot soak thing, and it's been doing better. Um, it's still a bit swollen, but it's not nearly as bad as it has been. I tried just wearing sandals, and they made they dug, they absolutely cut up my feet. I still got like a scab on my ankle from. Uh, from my sandals it's like they're supposed to help and like they're just making shit worse but really uh the main thing i'm dealing with is not really my toe it's i I got new glasses and they're not adjusted properly so uh one of the bridges is like digging into my nose and it's pretty painful like i actually put a band-aid on my nose right now because it's that bad nerd so All right. Well, yeah, you deal with the pain that I'm dealing with right now, and, and <laughs> I'm, not I'm try to do kidding. something about it. I'm just kidding. But no, seriously, that's you know, it is what it is. Really, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to uh, visit, revisiting the Alien franchise for my YouTube channel. So if you like Alien movies, you know the Alien films, Alien Aliens, and so on, you know, uh, subscribe or check out my channel. Yeah, I already promo- anyway, I already promoted your channel, Mike. You're double dipping at this point. Yeah, I'm double dipping. You double dip the chip. Anyway, I don't want to uh, keep any. Every, I already said that we we're leaving, and I do have to leave to go to a karaoke gig. Unfortunately, it sucks because I want to talk to Robin longer. Maybe he can come on sometime again in the future. Uh, you were a good. Absolutely. Guest. Yeah. Um, just just gotta invest a little bit more money into uh, your internet connection there, buddy. That's that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm saying. All we just I'm got saying. internet Canada last year. It's new to us. <laughs> It's true. I remember my old uh, high school uh, science teacher said he went to Canada and he described it to me as it's like America, but 20 years ago. That's a good <laughs> um, all right. And one last thing before I go, what, uh, just to confirm something that I was already told by another Canadian listener, what do they call uh, hooded sweatshirts up there or hoodies or whatever? What do they call those? Uh, just hoodies, as far as I know. Oh, they're not called bunny hugs? That's the first I've heard of it. <laughs> ah, Morgan, you have some explaining to do. I, I, yeah, I knew that sounded weird to me. All right, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you, thank you, Robin, yet again for coming on. And yeah, uh, Thank you for being yes. on the show. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. All right, we'll see you guys later. See ya. See ya.
What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, if you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. Uh, music is sold online or go to bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. Gee, I'm the worst at insulting people. I can never do it right. Nothing. No. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. I'm your Uncle Gino. Give me a little <laughs> giggle. You used to love that joke when you were a little boy. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I drank too much last <laughs> night. Apparently, is it tried to drown out the, the sound of the fireworks? Dude, you fucking hate fireworks. God damn. You went on like a little rant about fireworks on Facebook. I'm like, man, does this guy hate like ice cream too? No, I love ice cream. I love apple pie. You're not American. <laughs> fireworks are a Chinese invention anyway, so. Yeah, Mike, well, maybe you're a fucking Chinese invention. <laughs> Not really that good of an insult. God <laughs> damn, again, I can never insult correctly. All right, um, I'm about to bring on Robin. His name's Robin Warder. Okay, cool. And we'll have a three-way. Like, All right. Like I've always wanted. <laughs> you still there, Mike? Yeah, I'm still there. Hello. Robin. Hey. Hey, hey Robin. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Doing good. Great. How about you? Nice. Excellent. Nice to meet you guys. Yes. Nice to meet you, too. Thanks for uh, coming with us on this, this magical journey. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I never get to talk about Unsolved Mysteries cases in my regular day-to-day -day life, so it'll be cool to talk with some fans. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I don't either. Yeah. No, like, like, I'll mention the show to people, and uh, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that show. And then that's yeah. kind of, that's like all there is to it. No, I never meet anyone in my day to day life who's like, oh, my God, I love that show. I know all the cases. Let's talk about it. You know? Yeah. Same thing with me. They remember it from their childhood, but they wouldn't remember any specific cases or anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they'll remember one, like one foggy, like detail about a case, but they don't know anything else about it. Oh, yeah. There's that one case I saw and there was like there was somebody who 
was kidnapped and there was like a, a truck that had a window that had a fish on it. Yeah. You know, that oh, kind of thing. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Where you're yeah. like, they saw a UFO well, and then they got cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jeez, that would suck. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, any of the DVDs, the Unsolved Mysteries DVDs, Robin, but uh, I, I'd say one of the weakest UFO cases, and we haven't even talked about because I, I just I think it's kind of lame. But uh, it's the UFO healing. Oh, yes. I remember that one. I actually bought those DVD sets when they originally came out. So I, I've seen it a couple times. The lady who thought it cured her cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one made me go like, huh? Yeah. That, if, uh, if we did a if we did a worst of Unsolved Mysteries part two, I'd probably throw that one in there. <laughs> not because yeah. not because of like on its own. It's a bad segment, but when you compare it to the other UFO segments on the show, it's just, it doesn't even compare. Well, even compared to the Lost segment, the one that only aired once, the Gulf Breeze UFO segment, which I actually found on YouTube recently, which is like finding the holy grail of Unsolved Mysteries segments, because uh, it only aired once, and it hasn't aired again. I think it might be due to legal reasons, and also maybe due to uh, the producers of the show not wanting to associate themselves with, with with what is basically a hoax, they think. So yes, I've yeah. seen it myself. I I know someone who burnt me a bunch of old segments that were taped yeah. off their VHSs. So they had an original copy taped off a TV, and it was surreal to finally watch it. <laughs> yeah, I found it on YouTube, and it wasn't shot on on a potato like the other uh, version that I found. So. <laughs> What is that? What is that really potato cool. reference you keep bringing up? I know it's. A, I bring that up. It's. It's. People have used it before online, and I've just adopted it. it it's. It's kind. Of, it's a dig on how something is shot. So if you or recorded. So if you have a video that looks really bad and looks like crap, you know, you can say, "Oh, it looks like it's shot on a potato." It's the same thing, kind of uh, with. Uh, because it's not shot. It doesn't look like it's shot with a real camera, <laughs> you know. Shot with a potato oh, instead okay. of a camera. It's like when you when you you say things like your audio sounds like a tin can. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Police had few clues as weeks about the killer. Sorry, police had few clues as weeks about the and family and friends. According to the Tribune, one of the investigators discovered, though put little stock in right away, handwritten note from Boss's journal. Get tickets for AS. By August, the lukewarm from Evanston police. Did Chicago know anything about an Ed Edgewater technician named Alan Shower? All right, let's do it. Connecting the initials from bosses. No Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, you are cutting in and out um, yeah. pretty bad. Do you know why that would be or if there's... Um, not sure. Uh, 52. 3250. Should we? You might want to uh, reread uh, re from Police Had Few Clues because that's when it really started doing it kind of bad. Oh, okay. You could just start uh, over, I guess. You know, for well, I, I don't think I don't think you have to start over from the very beginning. I mean, I could. I could well, I, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. You know, cutting in and out early on too, at least for me personally. I think it was good enough for the. Yeah. Uh, uh, just like when it got really bad to where you missed information as far as like when it would cut out was that the uh, police had few clues part. I can I can do okay. editing uh, to like bridge the cutouts like I can I can like splice them together on some okay. of it. 
So, but that, that, yeah, just if you just want to redo that one. Okay. Uh, do I sound okay now? Um, it's, it's still kind of going, like, let me check my, like, my signal yeah. is, looks pretty good. Well, let me see here. I know that sometimes happen when I'm Skyping with my friend, so uh, it might just mm -hmm. be my software or something. I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to roll with it the best we can. <laughs> okay. Well, let me know if I start cutting out really badly again. Okay. So I'll pick up where I... Police had few clues as weeks about the killer after weeks. Police had few clues they as were, week they after week. They didn't write week. that Yeah, their typo is... There's, there's a typo in this one, so yeah, that's why I'm doing it wrong. I'll try to pronounce... It properly, <laughs> police Damn. interview According to the Tribune. One of the few things investigators discovered, though put little stock in right away, was a handwritten note from Boss's journal: "Get tickets for AS." By August, the lukewarm case had a hot tip from Evanston police. Did Chicago know anything about an Edgewater Hospital respiratory technician named Alan Showery? The voice. Connecting the initials from Boss's note and the name from Evanston Police, Chicago detectives... Are we, like, going back and forth here, or are we just, like... I'm just... Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. I, sorry, I'll, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... I'll get to the end of this sentence and then uh, mention yeah. a little bit about Jose Chua. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So, Connect, um, go ahead. Connecting the initials from Boss's note and the name from Evanston Police, Chicago detectives were put in touch with Evanston... Evanston in residence, Jose and Remibus Chua. All right, can I do a? I'm gonna insert a quick little edit here. Fifty-one, fifty-two, time code. Um, your connection is better now, Robin. And actually, that last one you read was was pretty clear, completely. Um, yeah. Can, can Excellent. I, can I be an asshole and get you to redo the police had few clues one last time while your connection's good? So I can, oh yeah, no problem. Okay, thank you. Because yeah. it, it, it the second time you did it, it broke up yet again, um, and, and you seem to be clearer now. So if you could just do that, and I can have that for this chunk that I can put in there. You asshole! I know. Oh my god! Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm used value. to doing multiple takes of my own podcast, so I don't mind it at all. <laughs> police, police had few clues as weeks about the. Uh, this is the one with the terrible typo that I always yeah. get getting wrong. I can't believe they left that in. <laughs> All right, let's see if I get this right. 